Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On today's show, I have Jeff Sweeney, who is the CEO of U.S. Capital Global Partners, an investment bank headquartered here in San Francisco with offices all around the world. On this week's tech news, a lot of things are going on. First up, I want to talk about what contact tracing is. Apple and Google announced that they were going to form a partnership to share data between their platforms. So the only thing new in that sentence is that Apple and Google are going to actually figure out a way to share their data. Content tracing is not new. This is the technology that combines your geolocation with your computers and your devices. So for instance, the fact that in some countries we can now monitor phones of people that might have had coronavirus and see what their patterns have gone to not just other countries, including the United States. We knew that during spring break in Florida, a company tracked publicly available cell phone data anonymized to the end user, and that as they spread out over the next 10 days, these 5,000 spring breakers interacted with almost 1 million people across the United States. So that's what contact tracing is. There's a lot of privacy questions, of course, that are coming out. But in terms of effectively notifying people right now when they opt in, you'll be able to get an alert that let's say I walked by somebody who had coronavirus and they disclosed it via their phone platform. It's conceivable that I'll get an alert on my phone that that had happened. Uh, Also, I just read that 300 universities across the world are jumping on the bandwagon because they also want to share their data too also announced was the extension of the stimulus package for the SBA Paycheck Protection Program. On our show last week, we had John Chang, former CFO and former mayor of Piedmont, California, and Tong Chin, former deputy CFO of the Small Business Administration itself, and they gave a lot of useful advice on how to get through the Paycheck Protection Program. And then, of course, the government announced that money had dried up and people were very discouraged. So my advice is get your applications back in as soon as possible. The Senate just approved it. Later, the House and then the White House will have to approve it as well, but that should offer up some additional stimulus. I also want to talk about Zoom and other web conferencing platforms. Because of how much usage, way beyond just what corporate users are using, now a lot of individuals through education, through families, uh, those companies, they're getting slammed right now for having inherent security flaws that were not known until this happened. I know that Zoom and other companies are definitely rushing to get their security patches out there, so be sure you're on top of it to download. And the last thing I want to talk about is a lot of folks have gotten error messages when trying to get their stimulus checks. So the IRS did, they gave automated payments to many, but for some who did not receive payment, they had to actually log in to the IRS website and request payment, and a lot of them got the uh, error message that payment status is not available. Well, here are a few of the reasons why that might be. One is you're not eligible for the payment. 
Also, you're not required to file or you did not file a tax return for 2018 or 19, and also you just didn't have the complete information that the IRS could match to. And quite possibly, due to the system being overloaded, the default was just that your payment wasn't available at the time. Um, I would encourage you to double-check your source documents and to try again. And that's the Tech News of the Week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, my special guest today is Jeff Sweeney, who is the CEO of U.S. Capital Global, an international investment bank that is located right here in San Francisco. Welcome again, Jeff. Yeah, thank you, Keith. Happy to be here. So, Jeff, I know you're very well known in the investment markets and uh, all over Silicon Valley, London, Los Angeles, New York, uh, but give the audience a little more into your background. You know, I, I've been in enterprise. I'm, a, I'm an old man now, but I've been in enterprise. I had a family business uh, back in the 70s in aerospace manufacturing for almost 20 years. And uh, we used a lot of capital and uh, had a lot of uh, uh, buildings, equipment, people, things like that. Uh, so I sold that business in the mid-90s. Um, uh, I had a big sailboat, and I sailed around the South Pacific for a while. And I came back and, uh, and uh, uh, bought U.S. Capital um, in the uh, late 90s and to serve the businesses, uh, the bu- businesses similar to what I ran, which is lower middle market uh, uh, businesses that use a lot of capital. So hey, then, one then second, I, I really like your story about being on a boat in the South Pacific. So why don't you go more into that? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, I... You know, um, and it's, it's kind of reflective of the times now because this isolation we have now. It was kind of a, a voluntary self-isolation. So I, I've been sailing my whole life, and I'd always wanted to sail around the South Pacific, and I had a big boat already. So between uh, careers here, I thought, well, I'll just take off. So I sailed uh, well, back and forth to Hawaii a few times, and then um, from the west coast of California, Santa Barbara, Montecito, where I lived, to uh, to Tahiti about 20, I think it was about 27 days to the Marquesas. Wow. At sea. So that was, a, that, I mean, it's fun. I mean, I, I've been sailing my whole life, so it's kind of easy when you know how, right? Um, but uh, very interesting. I just had, I usually had one person with me. So, um, uh, and it, you had a lot of time to think about your friends and think about your family because you really didn't have much interaction or even much uh, entertainment, although it's quite busy at sea, shorthanded uh, sailing. So you're occupied all day, but, but you do have a lot of time to think about what's valuable to you and how, how insignificant you are. When you're, when you're 15, when you're in the most remote place on the planet, just about, right? Because about the middle of the Pacific on the way to the Marquesas, you're 1,500 miles away from any population center, 15 yeah. from Hawaii, from Tahiti, from Panama, and from the West Coast. So it's a very remote location, and you, you kind of get the, there's a vibe out there about that. How did that form who you are in terms of that next career path you went into with U.S. Capital? I think that after spending quite a, you know months and months, uh, you know, in the South Pacific and sailing. I realized that, uh, that I wrote an article just last week called Pent Up Ambition. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
I realize that I'm, a, I'm an enterprising person, and uh, I, as much as I enjoyed, you know, being busy recreating, um, that I really enjoy enterprise. I like being useful. I remember helping, always helping people on their boats in the harbor, and you know, I just an enterprising type guy. So when I came back, I, I thought, well, I want to get involved in, uh, you know, I want to get back involved in enterprise in some way. And uh, I, I guess the joke is, uh, after I sold the manufacturing company, Aerospace, I said, there's only one thing I knew absolutely for sure, and that was I'll never own another manufacturing company. <laughs> <laughs> so you I, know, I, I enjoy the um, you know. articles that you've been writing lately. And uh, for anyone who's interested, go to LinkedIn, look up Jeff Sweeney. He's been writing a number of articles, including Pentemp Ambition, which is the most recent. And I really thought it was um, timely, especially in the, this uh, era we're living in, what we're calling the new normal, um, while we're living through COVID-19 and what we're expecting after COVID-19. So I, I really appreciate you being here, Jeff. So I'm going to take a pause because I want to actually bring back what your thoughts are on COVID-19, but we're about to take a break. So you're listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Special guest, Jeff Sweeney, who's the CEO of U.S. Capital Global, an international investment bank. Uh, we're reflecting on his personal journey, but as well as what he and U.S. Capital Global are doing um, to address the pandemic and the communities they serve, as well as their portfolio companies. So if you have any questions or comments about today's show, email us at info at svn.biz. You can also find out how to get a hold of U.S. Capital Global. You can also find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. My special guest today is Jeff Sweeney, who's the CEO of U.S. Capital Global, an international investment bank located right here in San Francisco. Uh, Welcome back, Jeff. Yes, that's right. We're in the heart of the banker ghetto on Montgomery Street. So, Jeff, I have a question for you. In one of your most recent articles, you brought up rebalancing in light of the pandemic and the new normal and the pause. What do you mean by rebalancing? What I mean by it is, uh, is well, similar to this, you know, the, this, this isolation or the, you know, everybody has to stay and work from home, can't really manically socialize or go out like we, we could before. So it leads to a little more of a contemplative existence. You have to think a little bit about what you value, what you really want to do, maybe what didn't seem, that doesn't seem so valuable now that you aren't compulsively doing it. And that, and so that, that will lead, will lead to a little bit of a rebalancing of one's life uh, and, 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 and probably less tolerance for, a little less tolerance for nonsense, a little, a little more attraction towards uh, things that, that have value and activities that have value. Yeah, that's great. I think it's timely. I mean, I, I think a lot of people are being very reflective of their personal situations. You've written a series of articles. Your most recent one is Pent Up Ambition, and this is in light of the current market situation. Uh, tell us more about your insights into those articles, because uh, have you been writing articles frequently or has really prompted you with given the um, circumstances? Well, I've been publishing, you know, at least uh, to our network of a hundred thousand or so subscribers um, for years and years. 
But usually it's a pretty business-related, but we've kind of moved a little bit more into, uh, you know, more subjective uh, subject matters just because of the times. But I want to get back to this rebound just a bit and say that, you know, this is a common activity. People go hiking, camping, sailing. People do things or jogging. People do a lot of things that are a little bit isolating and a little give them a time to pause or swimming things like that. So this is normal. What's a little bit unusual is the amount of time that we're, we have to spend in this phase. So it's going to lead to a little more deeper reflection. I just wanted to add that, that it's, this isn't really unusual, but the amount of time is unusual for most people. Um, so w- when it comes to uh, the uh, 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 pent-up ambition, I think this is what I found sailing is that I enjoyed, you know, horsing around, but I realized that when I got into port and I started socializing again, I really wanted to be helpful because I'm an ambitious guy and it wasn't always ambitious making money, but I just ambitious being useful to the community, other people, you know, and, and some of the, some of the uh, uh, rewards from that are monetary, but, a lot of them are just uh, self-satisfaction. So I felt that pent-up ambition when I'd come into port or when I came back from uh, long sailing trips. And I think I feel that a lot of people, and I feel that myself, that we're kind of getting anxious to kind of get back at it and start being useful to the community, start backing our enterprises, which we, which we value or we wouldn't do them generally. And uh, so that's what I mean by pent-up ambition. I, I think people are getting ready to... Most people are getting ready to get back to work and get back to being productive, and not many people really enjoy a, a kind of a permanent vacation, though, I don't think. That's so true. And uh, I was thinking about that because even though it's pandemic ambition, uh, the longer we're staying in this self-isolation, the more market disruptions occurring, uh, especially whether you're an individual or whether you're a startup or whether you're an investor. Um, what are some of the things U.S. Capital is doing to help your portfolio companies at this time? One thing we've really been looking at our portfolio companies and, and, and with this reflection, right? It, go, it, it used to reflect on all your things. We looked at our charitable activities. We're pretty happy with them, right? We've looked at a lot of our portfolio companies. We're pretty happy with the choices we made prior to this disruption and during the disruption and post-disruption. Because we, we, we've always been inclined towards positive social impact companies in general, right? Like we'll do anywhere from neutral to positive. We just won't do, you know, like, like hog farms in the Midwest or anything. We consider that relatively negative social impact. But so we're pretty satisfied. And some of the, even the uh, even what you would call uh, vulnerable sectors of hospitality, uh, one you know our portfolio company, one of our portfolio companies in Paris, run some very popular clubs and cafes, but they but they have relationships with really big brands like uh, 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 Live Nation and things like that. So on the rebound, their demographic uh, of young risk taking people that want to get out and do things and their alignment with large uh, 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 venues uh, probably is going to have them rebound more quickly than, say, a, uh, 
a, 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 a small a jazz club or something that might have a, a demographic that's not quite as uh, not quite as uh, 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 risk taking or are going to come out as quickly. It might be a slow recovery for a group like that. So when we look at our portfolio, we see a lot of companies that are they're always kind of innovative and they have an angle and and I think they're they're going to do very well through this uh, you know through the problem and through the to the rebound, which I think is going to be pretty robust in, in a lot of sectors. Slow in some and robust in others. That, that's interesting. Um, you're, you're saying that large venues will, will make a comeback um, sooner rather than later. Well, you have to think of the demographic, right? So if it's, you know, this particular, uh, this particular pandemic, right, the profile of the at-risk person is quite different than the demographic of uh, this particular hospitality club uh, manifesto, right? They, um, I mean, it's a younger group, you know, they have an outdoor venue on the Seine, you know, they have, uh, that, that group's going to come back pretty fast because, A, they're not so much at risk disease-wise, and, and also they're more risk takers anyway, and they're more interested in social interaction than, say, uh, pensioners like myself. So, uh, so, so I think, so, so you look at that and they're, they're probably going to rebound pretty quickly when, when, when they're allowed to, right? While other, other activities may be a little slower because of the clientele demographic might be more cautious or more at risk, things of that nature. Has uh, U.S. capital been changing its direction on investment trends or you're staying status quo? You know, I, I mean, again, we've looked, we look at what we do and we've always been, um, uh, uh, I want to say uh, we've always been settlers in alternative investments, right? And, you know, pioneers get the arrows and settlers get the land. So we like to be settlers, but we're still out on the, in the frontier. And we, you know, we have our alternative fixed income. We've always been in alt. I mean, at this time with, with the volatility in public markets, our alternative fixed income, asset backed fixed income deals are really attractive. A lot less anxiety you know, much steadier returns. The portfolio companies are doing well to date. Uh, you know, I mean, who knows what will happen in the future. But, but, the, but when you look at the rebalancing of one's portfolio from public or from, you know, growth equity to uh, fixed income, right, and then you look at from public securities to alternatives, you really there's, there's a trend happened during the financial crisis to move a little more to alts because of their inherent stability, and I think that this this recent volatility, you know, I think clever people are looking and say, you know what, I really ought to rebalance a little bit into some alternative, at least alternative fixed income that's a little less volatile, you know, because my other portfolio is kind of nerve-wracking to watch on, uh, you know, on, on FNN, you know. Thanks again, Jeff. I'm just going to take a quick break. So you're listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Q, special guest Jeff Sweeney, CEO of U.S. Capital Global. Any questions or comments about what we're talking about today, email us at info at svn.biz. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. And we'll be right back with more of Jeff. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. My social guest on today's show is Jeff Sweeney, who is the CEO of U.S. Capital Global. 
an investment bank here in San Francisco with offices around the world. Jeff is talking about how people can react to their investments during the pandemic. For this week's Cyber Tip, I'm going to talk about a strange case where a recent hack of a cryptocurrency netted the hacker about $25 million between Ethereum, Bitcoin, and some other cryptocurrencies. What was unique is that the hacker, after being successful in taking out the money of cryptocurrency, also then returned it all, which is strange. So the case is that there's a platform called LendF.me. It's an open source marketplace, and they are part of a group of protocols in decentralized finance, or DeFi. Um, like many things, uh, when we talk about these types of hacks, it, just a reminder that the cryptocurrency isn't hacked in itself. It's the marketplace, the exchange, the transport mechanisms that get hacked. So it's not the currency in itself. The reason why it's expected the hacker return the money was because they had left a lot of breadcrumbs or, in essence, a trail that could easily be found so that they would ultimately be identified. So they thought it was just safer to return the money. Uh, this is just a reminder, because we haven't done a story on this in a while, that while the cryptocurrencies have themselves never been hacked, exchanges and other online trading platforms do get hacked and get hacked quite often. So with anything related to a cryptocurrency or any currency, always be sure of the infrastructure. And if it's a technology you don't understand, you should probably just be best to avoid it or have a friend or a family member or an advisor that does understand so they can keep you safe. And that's the Cyber Tip of the Week. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. Once again, I'm joined with Jeff Sweeney, who is the CEO of U.S. Capital Global. Welcome back, Jeff. Well, thanks, Keith. Hey, hey, Jeff, earlier in the show, we've been talking about current situation with COVID-19, the pandemic. We talked about your recent article on LinkedIn called Pent Up Ambition and really addressing this leader class, investors, entrepreneurs, business owners. Uh, what do you think each one of those groups should be thinking about currently? I know at the end of the show, we'll be talking about the future, but what do you think they should be thinking about right now? Well, we, meaning I'm kind of the group, right? I mean, we're always thinking about innovative solutions to problems that present themselves. And we're in a situation now where we have, we have a lot of unique problems that have fallen in our lap over the last, you know, 60 days or so. So uh, a lot of, and, and a lot of things we can't execute on, but a lot of the, a lot of the sector is thinking like, oh, this, you know, we should do this, or these guys should do that. So there's a lot of innovative thinking going on right now. Not all of it can we execute on because it's maybe not our sector, but I think that innovation is it's driving a lot of contemplation that way. You see a lot of deal flow. You see a lot of, to your point, uh, ambition, entrepreneurs. Is there anything in the last 60 days that you've seen come up? I don't, don't disclose anything. Um, under NDA, but have you seen opportunities in certain areas that are just really um, happening right now? Well, we have, uh, you know, we've got a couple of uh, companies that we're, uh, that are portfolio companies that we're raising additional capital. One is interesting because we like um, companies that have a positive social angle to their enterprise, and one of them is like takeout groups. 
right? A Danish company, uh, uh, family brothers, uh, uh, been in business a long time. What they do is they have a software as a service that connects gig economy delivery people with restaurants. Mm-hmm. And, and everybody's going to go, well, that ship has sailed, right? You've got, you've got the usual suspects in that space. But they have an angle to this that's unique, and it's more community building. Because what they do is they provide uh, a, uh, a link to the gig delivery guys, the same guys the other name brands use. But then they provide the client data to the restaurant. Now, these other name brand guys, they're the client. They own the right. client. But Takeout Group provides the client data to the restaurant so the restaurant can, main, can, can create and build a relationship with their clientele and grow their local business. Very interesting approach to that problem. Instead of dislocating the customer from the restaurant, they're connecting together. Now, we really like that deal. They've been around a while. They make money. It's software as a service. They're big in Europe. Uh, and uh, now in the U.K., I think they've inked some deals uh, in Ireland for this. But that, that's a really useful, it's un, you know, uh, uh, weirdly enough, uh, we got involved in them before this crisis, but now they're just like, I mean, 100%, you know, month-over-month growth now because everybody's going to this model. And I Do think they serve the U.S. already? The about them is they have a lower price point, you know, it's not as expensive, and they're more interested in building the community than, than, than owning the customer themselves. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Are they already operating in the United States? Uh, they're not operating here yet, but they're raising ca- we're helping them raise capital uh, to operate here, and uh, they're expanding in Europe, I think Spain, Denmark, Spain, Ireland, and uh, London, I think. Well, so I'm only asking, um, I don't have a relationship directly other than uh, right when COVID-19 was starting, uh, we, just like you said, that we, we did have, for my consulting firm, we did have a number of restaurateurs come to us about some ideas uh, around this exact problem that they needed a something like takeout, but they did not want to be tied in to the current big players we're not mentioning uh, for exactly the reasons you've outlined. So uh, I, I think yeah. it, it is great a bit of a for a service like that to enter into the U.S. market. Oh. Well, I was going say it's a little bit of a predatory model in a sense. And, uh, well, look, we see it, all roads lead to U.S. capital global is what we say. But, but, look, I've seen a lot of different models, and some people have a more Soviet-style, you know, model for the future where everything's made in a dark kitchen, you know, and you just order your pad thai, and it comes from some you know, massive kitchen. And I had a guy pitch me something from the UK on that the other day. I said, I go, dude, I said, you know, the Soviet Union collapsed. And if you're, if you have a Soviet type model, I don't think people are going to go for that. Right. They want, you know, they want to buy their pad thai from, you know, some, some, some gal's restaurant down the street. Right. They don't want to, they don't want to just get, you know, vanilla pad thai. And I, I said, the, so I said, I really like something that creates a, a more bespoke economy and a community building where there's a lot of vibrant small businesses. You create applications and you use, you know, even the gig, the gig people to connect these vibrant small businesses because those build communities. And really, we want to live in communities. We don't want to live in some kind of sterile environment where, you know, everything just comes in a box and there's nobody, there's no... There's nobody to see at the grocery store that actually runs the store where you buy stuff, you know. That's not very really fun. 
Yeah, I totally agree with that, and that that's my fear as well. Is that uh, in a in a post pandemic world, that's what we're going to. And it's funny you mentioned that as well, because also been approached around people who want to um, utilize commercial kitchens. So, what are some other industries you think uh, will find success in the current climate? Well, I mean, the normal, the fintech stuff is relative, if it has value, is, I, I think, relatively unfazed. Like, we have a, uh, another client, um, Bank, which is uh, 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 Trade, Bank. They're, a, they're an international fully licensed bank. I mean, and they, they're uh, under a Caribbean uh, banking license. They can custodian digital assets, any manner of digital assets, as well as fiat, and mm-hmm. they have a full banking license. There's not that many in the Caribbean. And if you have an international account with them, you can wire or ACH money to any bank in the world, any first class, HSBC, Wells Fargo, anything like that. So you can custodian digital assets with them, and then you can transfer to fiat to your account, and you either have a, can have a debit card or you can wire it to an a international bank. Neat company, you know, all, you know, bank, bank on a phone, right? But it's, they're primarily for enterprise and for um, high net worth and also for um, funds because there are no banks that cater to funds in the Caymans. And, and they're, the, the, the guys there are just ex-bankers with digital DNA, right? But they're really straight, real banking, no no us bankers, right? But they do have some digital DNA and some application DNA. So they're kind of making that blend. So they're like a, uh, they're a little bit like a consumer, like some of these Monzo, some of these European guys, um, mm-hmm. but, but they're international and they're for a, a, a different, a more bespoke clientele. Very interesting thing. That's great. I mean, figuring out the KYC involved with that, um, that would be awesome. So if they've done that, it's very promising. They have to be. They have to. They have to on-ramp clients to international and U.S. banking standards. And then once you're in that world, then you can move money around unfettered, as they say, right? So they're very strict and very sophisticated on their AML and KYC, and even businesses, which is much more complex because of the ownership and related party structures. But they're really good at that. And and then once you're in that network, now you're in an international banking network. And you can do unfettered transfers all over, as opposed to some other banks that are weaker or don't have as are not as well recognized, where uh, they're not really accepted into the international community. There's a number in the Middle East and and uh, things like that that are a little bit darker, and they just don't have that they don't have that corresponding bank relationships with the big banks like these guys do. And the the, the thing is, they're not only digital, but they've got digital asset custodianship, so they can custodian digital assets, you can move your assets to fiat, and you can move them anywhere in credit. So it's very, very interesting, and also you can get debit cards. So theoretically, you can, and you can borrow against your Bitcoin, put it into your fiat account, use your debit card to buy a Lamborghini in Monaco. Great. You and I have been around the blockchain and digital asset cryptocurrency space for a number of years, so the fact that there are now companies getting closer or actually realizing what was considered like the holy grail about two years ago, um, that's fantastic. And I think that will help with the adoption and the comfort level of, uh, I refer to it as not just a fintech, but actually um, 
people getting comfortable about the technologies behind that. So that's great. Well, that, and look, we, we need to move away from the concept that any digital assets are just a, a, a modern version of Silk Road, right? Right. It's absolutely it's like that. And, and, but even though the old school, the big banks kind of still think that way, but it's really not like that anymore. So they have a, they have a white label product where some of these more innovative fintech digital guys, they can focus, instead of trying to cobble together a back office and, and onboarding and on, offboarding, right, they can focus on origination and their applications for transacting, and then they can use Ekibank as their back office, other compliant back office to do all that stuff, including connect with the banking community worldwide. So it's a neat, I like the guys, we've got a pretty good stake in there. And uh, I think we're ready. we've got a convertible note and an equity coming out for them pretty soon. You're listening to Silicon Valley Insider. Keith Q, special guest, Jeff Sweeney, CEO of U.S. Capital Global. Any questions or comments about today's show, email us at info at sva.biz. We can also tell you how to get a hold of U.S. Capital Global. Uh, find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. And we're going to be right back with Jeff and talking about the future on the pivot. So don't go away. For questions or comments on today's program, call one 888 828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Special guest, Jeff Sweeney, CEO of U.S. Capital Global, an international investment bank headquartered here in San Francisco. So, Jeff, in your view, what does the post-pandemic world look like? Certainly, there'll be... Uh... Well, you know, I was talking about today with my marketing staff. I mean, we have, what we have is that we have a new globalism and a new nationalism, right? It's not, it's not the nationalism that was three months ago. It's a new nationalism. So there's a regionalism that's happening now. There'll be a lot of regional opening that happens because there'll be certain regions that are relatively safe, you know, that just didn't have a lot of exposure. And there'll be some regions that are still a little tough, you know, and so they'll have a little bit slower to open, same with countries and things like that. And, and so that's what will happen. So you'll see some areas where it's pretty, there'll be a little bit of restriction probably on interaction with problem areas, right? So there'll be the, 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 the interaction or the movement of people and things like that will probably be a little slower, right? Because of the concern of recontaminating an area that's pretty clean. Um, but then within the area that's pretty clean, They'll, they'll be able to open up pretty quickly. Uh, so that's what you'll see by these rolling and, and uh, different kind of opening, same with countries. But there will be a lot of caution about interfacing with problem areas until uh, they settle down to a, until the, until the virus settles down to a non-viable uh, uh, exposure level, right? Like tuberculosis is non-viable. It's a non-viable virus. There's tuberculosis in the world, but it's so small, it's not really viable, viable as an epidemic or a pandemic. You see what I mean? Right. Same thing will happen with this virus. Uh, and so then they'll develop treatments, mitigations, and vaccines, which are in the pipe right now, which will end up pushing it down to uh, seasonal flu, uh, which is, I think is the hope. So the, the whole thing will kind of unwind. There'll be, there's a lot of damage done to the economy and people's psyche, in the, in the intermediate term, but in the long term, it'll just be back to business as usual, I think. Uh, now, in the intermediate time, even restaurants, I mean, suppose they, 
there's a little more social distancing at restaurants, right? So I think with the delivery services that are popping up now and the use of the restaurants for delivery, that because of maybe a less density at your favorite restaurant, um, you might want to go, well, let's go get some pad thai this, tomorrow. Oh, shoot, they're booked because they only have, you know, two-thirds or half the seats they used to have. Well, that's all right. We'll just order it in, and it'll show up at our house and just eat it at home because I want that pad thai, right? So there'll be that where the restaurants can get utilization up to levels that are supportable, even if they have less density, and then there'll probably be a little more delivery that happens from the restaurants as that becomes more a normal thing. And, and the, a lot of the applications that use um, for reservations and things like that will probably end up having uh, takeaway uh, aspects to them, I suspect, if they're smart to do. So that will happen. It, it, um, go ahead. Yeah, your comments make me think of a couple things, right? Well, so, so one, uh, a lot of, a lot of discussions, so you rate address restaurants, how um, they might scale back capacity. There's a lot of talk with the work from home and the remote workers how does that change the landscape in regions like Silicon Valley, which are these tech centers, these tech hubs where innovation happens, uh, very high home prices? Do you think that gets affected at all, that just, be, just because of um, the situation around the pandemic, less demand for housing? Or do you think it doesn't really significantly change that much just because we're that innovation hub? Oh, I mean, I think that just, look, we're a worldwide organization. I think we do... We have analytics done in Calcutta. We have accounting done in the Philippines. Uh, our digital marketing is done in the Ukraine and Moscow. We've got a London office. We've got a San Francisco office. So we're already operating in all, most all time zones, depending on the activity. So, mm-hmm. but we're usually a little bit ahead of the curve. So I think that will happen a little bit. There'll be some things that are geared towards being done in various locations. Uh, and there are other things like uh, uh, that need to be done. You need to have face time. You need to see people in the office doing things. So I think there may be, again, a rebalancing or a reexamination of what needs to be done face-to-face and what can be done um, off-site. I think there will be a rethinking of that a bit. I- I'm not really sure about the housing price implication, but, uh, but yeah. I think there will be a little bit of a rethinking. I don't think it would be a revolutionary change, but I think there will be an incremental thought processes about that, about, well, what, maybe we should have that, you know. The, the, so the just a couple minutes we have left, Jeff. Time has gone really fast. Yeah. What's your opinion? you think we go back to the way it was, or do you think we go to whatever people are referring to as the new normal or somewhere in between? What are your thoughts? Back to the way it was. There'll be, a little, there'll be incremental changes, a little more contemplative. You're going to think about your relationships a little bit, but uh, it, it's going it, it, to come back the way it was. I mean, this is a... It, it, this is the thing that's the, just in closing. But the thing unusual about this is it popped up. It was very contagious. There, there, there was really no effective mitigation treatments. Meaning, if you got sick, you didn't. They didn't have any treatments developed, and there's no vaccine. As soon mm-hmm. as those things develop, where a if you get it, you can get some effective treatments, and b if you can get a vaccine, so you don't get this or an iteration of it, then there's really no reason not to move back to a very similar type economy that we had before, I'll bet there may be a little bit of a little bit of change in people's thinking about what they needed to do. So they'll be capable of doing the similar things, 
But you may be a little bit thinking, well, you know what? Maybe I don't even need to do that, right? And that's what I well, – maybe a little bit of change in that, in that where you might be – you might do, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe I'm just going to change my behavior a little bit because I realized when I couldn't do that anymore, I didn't really miss it. There may be a little bit of that. Well, Jeff, thanks. I mean, that, that is a fresh perspective from all the doom and gloom a lot of people are saying, so uh, very well-balanced, reasoned response. So thanks again for being here. I can't believe we're out of time already. I'd love to have you back on again sometime. My pleasure. I really enjoy, uh, I really enjoy the conversation. So you've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Tu, special guest Jeff Sweeney, CEO of U.S. Capital Global, an international investment bank here in San Francisco. Any questions or comments, email us at info at you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, and you can re-download the podcast, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846. 888-828-SVIN. 